Aksa. Nick Sartor tells us a little bit about The Exquisite Hour by Relithin Theatre. And I review The Life Game by Truth Be Told Theatre. All that and more on this week's Arch Report. It's Megan. This is the Arts Report on CITR 101.9, your weekly fix of arts news, reviews, interviews, and personalities. We are on CITR 101.9 and streaming at CITR.ca. Um, you can find us on Twitter, CITR, the Arts Report, and on Facebook, Arts Report on CITR. And always feel free to email us uh, reviews, suggestions, feedback, criticisms, funny pictures of cats at arts at citr.ca. I uh, am starting a little bit early because no one's in the studio, so I can do whatever I want. But also, uh, we have a guest, and I like to be able to spend as much time with her as possible. We have April O'Peel in studio from the Vancouver International Burlesque Festival. But what I'd like to do first is talk a little bit about what I got up to this week and a few shows that I recently saw. And then we'll be talk a little bit more about some of the events that are coming up, including the Burlesque Fest. So what did I do this week? I had Record Store Day on April 21st, and that was a lot of fun. Um, some really amazing performances, a lot of good deals, some beer. It was a, it was a really good time. Every uh, year, I think it's the third April, Saturday in April, so hopefully you got some of our live feed. But if you didn't, uh, feel free to check us out on the podcast on... Um, CITR.ca. Uh, Ruffled Feathers, I saw their uh, album launch. I was at their album launch, and that was a really fun show. They, I really recommend them. They're just uh, really lovely, and they put on a great show. It was actually DJed by resident DJ B. So that was a fun show. I uh, went to the Sunday service. I definitely, one of my favorite improv acts. Always funny. It was really slow because of the uh, game, the sad game. No more competition for arts in Vancouver because the Canucks are out. And that's uh, that's every Sunday at 9. And except at the Hennessy or the Cosmic Zoo, depending on which sign you look at. And that's just on Main Street. And uh, it's 5 bucks. It's always packed except for last night or the on Sunday. But it's always packed and it's always funny. Uh, another really cool thing I did was see the exhibition Ghost Keeper at uh, Gallery 1965 on Maine. Um, it's running from April 21st to April 28th from 12 to 6. And it's actually an amazing multimedia um, exhibit featuring um, the work of Ahasu uh, Maskegon Iskew and as well as in, uh, pieces inspired by his work uh, by Adrian Stimson, Archer Pichawis and Cheryl Lehondrell. Um, excuse me for my pronunciation, um, and it's curated by Glenn Altine and Malcolm Levy. And it looks back at the art practices of uh, Ahasu Maskegon Iskew, uh, who passed away in 2006. He was uh, one of the first Aboriginal artists in Canada to actually work in performance new media in the internet. Um, he was uh, Cree French Métis, uh, born in McLennan, uh, Alberta in '58. And he graduated with a performance art and installation, uh, I guess, degree from Emily Carr um, in 1985 in Vancouver. So he was a director, a board member for the Pitt Gallery. He worked in adult education. You know, he had a really um, community-oriented career. And this is the first exhibition to actually um, be presented from Activating the Archive, which is a year-long project um, that invites curators to delve into the 25-year history of the Grunt Gallery. So this is actually a group exhibition, and it's the first in that series. Um, it presents two works, Speaking the Language of Spiders and White Shame, uh, one of which is an uh, internet project and one of which is a performance. And we showed up, um, there was a full day of activities, and I showed up uh, later in the day, and we were about halfway through a performance um, by, let's just double check, Adrian Stimson. And it was this really moving, um, this really moving performance piece uh, that, from what I saw, involved sewing fishing line to his body, and then he attached feathers, um, and he spoke the words "Who will work?" and and there were some very profound. Thank you, April, for closing the.
door. <laughs> um, there were some very profound um, words and images displayed at the same time. Um, so I only caught the tail end of it, but even that, I mean, evokes images of um, identity and the pain of identity, the pain of representation, the connection to this past, things like residential schools, the land, um, education, um, ethnicity, um, history, tradition, etc. And I have to say, though, what's funny is that people were watching and everyone was very quiet. And then at the end... He he walks off stage, um, and this this image, which I, I couldn't identify, I'm sure I would have known if I was there, um, plays, and then uh, Crazy by Patsy Cline plays. And it's kind of, or I fall to pieces, rather. And it was, it was quite stark, and it was interesting. It was kind of an interesting way to end it. And then uh, We Are Family played, and people, were, and, and people didn't really know what to do. And what I find interesting about performance art, uh, as well as multimedia presentations of art in gallery spaces, is that oftentimes the idea of a piece of performance art can eclipse the actual performance. So the theory is there, the emotional impact is there, the relevant social relevance is there, you can see what they're doing. But he kind of just walked off stage and no one, knew, no one really knew if the end of the piece was, and I don't really know if that was part of the piece. And so it kind of undercuts the emotional impact and theoretical impact. The other thing, too, is um, it's a really interesting exhibit. I would definitely check it out at 1965 um, Main Street on Main Gallery. But uh, unfortunately, um, it is a lot of looking at screens, and there are a couple of physical installation pieces in response. But it is a lot of looking at screens, and you're kind of clicking through. So what I would also recommend... Um, Besides checking it out in person is going to ghostkeeper.gruntarchives.org and they have kind of an online archive. So that might be something that you could do without actually going to the gallery and then seeing if you'd like to, to make the trek. Uh, the other thing I did today, um, sorry, last night was I saw Ism at the Colch. Now we talked to Crazy Smooth. Uh, last week about ism and about um, what that show was all about. It was presented by the troupe B-Boyism and it is an amazing dance piece at the Colch from April 24th until the 29th. And so last night they had their um, debut at the Colch anyway for the, the run and it was brilliant. It was so perfectly executed. The performativity, the musicality, the enthusiasm like you really everything was in sync and everything was well performed but they really looked like they had an amazing time they were obviously pushing it they were sweating um they even at a couple of points kind of mocked and highlighted the the amount of effort that it takes and they were like talking about the surgeries they'd have and people were kind of laughing and um crazy smooth aka Yvonne Soglo was like you think this is funny three knee surgeries um, they really broke the third, uh, fourth wall. The third, the fourth wall, they broke all the walls. It was amazing. And um, I think you really got a sense of the history of street dance. They went through a bunch of different styles from uh, the music, you know, Puerto Rican music through to funk to modern hip hop. Um, they showcased a bunch of the different dance influences. And they also showcased what it might be like if you didn't have all this enthusiasm and this heart and what they're trying to do with ism and with b-boyism is to really focus on the expression that hip-hop dance has and its place in contemporary dance. And contemporary dance, much like much of contemporary art, is theory-based and it's based on ideas as much as pure expression. So it's really nice to see those two things come together. He, you know, he invoked McLuhan media theory um, when he was describing what was happening and culture and he people kind of laughed he used all this it was jargon but coming from a communications and media background it was totally on point and really deep but people were kind of laughing and i forgot to ask him do people normally laugh because i think people don't really understand they think it sounds jargony i think people are um there's an element of like not associating that high level theory with hip-hop and thinking it's funny to hear them connected um but as I mentioned, the professionalism, the musicality, the energy were amazing. And afterwards, one of the three Matthews that actually works um, in the troupe 
and they all contribute uh, things like choreography, stage direction, that kind of thing. Um, he said that it was actually a really energetic crowd and people gave back a lot to the performers. So that was really nice to hear. So that's ISM, and it's performing at the Culture's Historic Theatre, 1895 Venables, from April 24th to 29th. And you can get tickets um, at theculch.com. Uh, and I will have to say that Crazy Smooth was indeed Crazy Smooth. Mad Smooth. He... His um, movements were very much um, smoother, I think, than the other dancers. And I think that that is obviously his signature. Like, all of them, I think, really showed their own, showcased their own style. So it's it's a great experience. And one of the reasons actually going into this again is that uh, Crazy Smooth is the Canadian ambassador for International Dance Day, which is April 29th. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but I thought um, now that I'd seen the show and I could get a little taste of it, I have to say that um, fully endorse his choice. He was voted um, to be the Canadian representative um, for International Dance Day, the ambassador, and he, um, which is happening on April 29th, which is actually uh, chosen because it was the birthday of Jean. Georges Nover, 1727-1810, the creator of modern ballet. And it's actually Crazy Smooth's birthday as well. So two people um, pushing forward modern dance. Um, I will play you a little something. And this is Crazy Smooth speaking a little bit about um, what it's like for him to be the ambassador for International Dance Day. We'll talk a little bit about that. And you'll also hear um, some music from B-Boyism, the show. And you will also hear a little bit from an interview that he did um, for Canada National Dance Week uh, in 2011. And you can check all that out um, either on the website um, or you can Google it. <laughs> Come on, guys. You got you to gotta do a little, little work on your own behalf here. So let's hear a little bit from uh, Crazy Smooth. Um, I think with all the legendary companies from Europe, from the U.S., uh, for Canada to have its own voice is important because we have to show that there's great contemporary dance that comes from Canada. If you look at the word contemporary, it means today. So I don't think there's anything uh, more up-to-date, there's anything more contemporary than hip-hop. Could you tell me a little bit about your participation in International Dance Day this year? I was voted to be the, the ambassador or the representative of this year Interna- International Dance Day and, and Week, mainly organized by the Canadian Dance Assembly. What that gave me is the opportunity to be the author of this year's International Dance Day text message that the message that I wrote and then they basically gave me you know what the subject was this year and you know and then and, and, and I wrote it so it was um, being being the, the ambassador for, for something like that was very um, very flattering and I actually was more than honored especially after seeing the list of people that have been the ambassadors in the past um, you know people like Margie Gillis and, and Crystal Tight kind of like I was like whoa okay <laughs> I'm I'm part of a, a elite a group of people now you know it's definitely an honor I represent the street dance community mm-hmm. I, I have that, that extra um, weight of my representing my community well as well as everybody else mm-hmm. you know the fact that it's you know it's on the birthday of the the creator of modern ballet and then we have you know uh, my birthday too actually <laughs> so you share that in common as well that and the you know the pushing forward of modern dance the you know the, the goal at least according to wikipedia <laughs> the goal being to celebrate dance and to revel in the universality of the art form to cross all political cultural and ethnic barriers and bring people together through the common language of dance and that certainly sounds like hip hop to me definitely but i'm i'm very proud um to be the ambassador this year, I'm proud of the the message that I um, that I wrote, and uh, and I invite everybody to come, you know, and where wherever you are in Canada to to celebrate dance, because I do believe that Canada is a dance nation, 
and um, it's so rich, you know, in culture, mm -hmm. and there's so many dances out there that, uh, you know, it's definitely uh, something we should all celebrate because dance does have the power to bring a lot of people together. That was Crazy Smooth, a.k.a. Yvonne Soglo. And, you know, after all of that um, anticipation, I thought I would read you briefly the message that he had. Um, he's very positive and very intellectual, and that kind of shows in his writing. He was the first b-boy, actually, to receive a grant from the Canadian Council or the Canada Council to study b-boying and other forms of street dance. He went to New York and Philadelphia, and he's obviously on tour with ISM. And he writes, Dance has the rare and precious power to unite people of all ages, cultures, and religions, and has an intrinsic value to Canadian society. Consider the enthusiasm of children as they express themselves through movement, the joy of adults exude after a ballroom dance class, the profound emotional response of audiences and their reflections after a powerful dance performance. The incredible energy generated in a room when everybody starts to boogie and the passion and history reflected in traditional and cultural dance. Imagine how desolate a world without dance would be. Dance speaks to the mind, body, and soul in a way that goes beyond the power of words and its social impact and capacity to engage should be celebrated. As an art form, dance can be impressive, but expression is its fundamental nature. Dance to express, not impress. That's pretty powerful stuff. You can check out more about International Dance Day, April 29th at www.international-dance-day.org. And you can check out more about ISM on theculch.com. And that's happening until this Sunday, I believe. Now we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we will finally get to talk to April O'Peel uh, about the Vancouver International Burlesque Festival. So stay tuned. As interesting as listening to this PSA is, there's nothing quite like watching it. Watching what, you ask? The annual showcase of films that accompany it as part of the POV, or Persistence of Vision Film Festival. This showcase of short films written, directed, shot, edited, and produced by students in the film production program at UBC happens only once a year. On April 27th and 28th, join the POV Festival at the Empire Granville 7 Cinemas in the heart of downtown Vancouver as these magnificent films are debuted. For tickets and information, visit POV Film Festival Vancouver will be twirling its tassels for the seventh year in a row when the Vancouver International Burlesque Festival takes to the stage May 3rd to 5th at the Rio and Vogue Theatres. There are more international performers this year than ever before, including the current reigning queen of burlesque, Miss Indigo Blue, and the boylesque sensation, Jet Adore. The festival has variety acts, live music, comedians, and burlesque all together in three nights of the sexiest and most entertaining weekend of the year. Tickets are available from northerntickets.com or visit the festival website at bandburlesquefest.com. Yay, Vancouver International Burlesque Fest. It is happening from May 3rd until May 6th. And uh, it's happening at the Rio Theatre on May 3rd and uh, the Vogue Theatre on May 5th and 6th. Um, you can get all the information about what we're going to talk about, VancouverBurlesqueFest.com, performances, workshops for the newbies and for the professionals. And um, I'm really impressed at how I tied that into International Dance Day. What do you think, April? Uh, I agree. Fully approved. Okay, great. Now, April is April O'Peel. Um, she is part of the Screaming Chicken theatrical troupe. And she and I actually performed together last week? The week before? Maybe two weeks ago, yeah. I'd say. Yeah, and it, um, we performed on the same stage at Kitty Nights. Yes, I'm coming out. I'm coming out to the Lower Mainland. Uh, <laughs> my grandparents listen to this. So, hi, Nana and Grandgood. I perform burlesque sometimes. Um, and it looks like to be a really amazing show. I went last year at the Vogue. I saw Judith Stein, who will be back again. Um, and I saw the other amazing um, acts. Uh, were you, on, you were on the Vogue stage last year. April? I was. Yeah. And she was amazing as always. And I had a really good time. You get to dress up. You get to see a lot of beautiful people in both beautiful clothes and naked. Um, 
April, why don't you tell us a little bit um, about the festival, maybe a little bit, starting a little bit, introduce yourself a little bit more. Sure. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, I am April O'Peel, a uh, Vancouver-based uh, burlesque performer, choreographer, and teacher. Uh, I do a lot of work with the Screaming Chicken Theatrical Society. Uh, we sort of have a subgroup that I also perform with uh, a bit called the Razzle Tassel Tea Show. And I work quite a bit as an independent performing uh, all over Vancouver with a variety of different producers and uh, at a variety of different venues. Um, I've been performing for five years now. Uh, my burlesque anniversary actually uh, corresponds with the on May third, so the first day of the festival. Uh, happy burlesque anniversary! Thank you. <laughs> it's been uh, an amazing experience for me. I've enjoyed myself quite a bit, and I was very happy to uh, be part of the board this year. I've learned a lot um, about producing such a large scale event, um, and just felt good about giving back to my community um you know some uh community that's been amazing to me so yeah i'm happy i'm happy to be part of the board this year and um it's a vancouver international burlesque festival with people coming from all over the world as well as local um now what was the do you know anything about why the festival was started like what was the goal with the festival in vancouver um i think that the festival exists as sort of a, a chance to um display the variety and versatility of all the different talents and performers uh, that we see regularly and showcase that in one sort of uh, giant spectacle. Uh, We would like to try and uh, diversify our audience. A lot of times uh, we end up playing to, uh, you know, almost playing playing to our friends a lot of the time. (laughs) You know, the same crowd uh, will be there a lot of time. And so we really want to use the festival as a way to invite new audiences who may have not uh, heard maybe you've heard about burlesque, but you haven't seen a show. Um, this is the creme de la creme. If you're going to see one show all year, this would definitely be the one to go to. Yeah, and people play in little places from beautiful theaters to dives all around the city. Almost literally, almost every night you can find a burlesque show. But it can be um, a little daunting because there's so many different styles and events and approaches, which is great. Um, but this will be a nice way to do a little sample. Um, now. Speaking of samples and segues, can you uh, you want to maybe tell us a few of the acts that we're going to see? Um, we have obviously we have, for example, as you heard in the promo, which I know you were listening to, everyone. Um, we have a Miss Indigo Blue, for example, is Miss Exotic World's current reigning queen of burlesque, and she'll be here. Uh, yes, Indigo is an amazing performer. She's uh, based out of Seattle and has performed at the Vancouver Burlesque Festival in the past, but um, she is the current reigning uh, queen of burlesque, um, This that as dictated by the Burlesque Hall of Fame, which is an annual event, uh, which is kind of our mecca, you could say, mm-hmm. the Olympics of burlesque uh, that happens every year in June. Um, we were all very, very happy to see Indigo crowned. She's an amazing performer. Um, I would definitely say that you would want to check her out. Is she more classic or like for yourself, you do classic stuff and you also do kind of funny, quirky things. What type of style is she? I would say Indigo, uh, she's um, very talented. Her range is amazing. I think she does both, but I think for the most part, uh, a lot of her work is more classic in nature. Mm -hmm. Um, She's very glamorous, that old school Hollywood vibe uh, that, that, you know, exudes from her, but it's always sort of like with a, um, you know, a more modern flavoring. Um, you, you know, even just in like her costume coloring choices or something like that, there's always sort of a little bit of a twist. But um, she's absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal. I learn a lot just from watching her. Uh, she just works that stage. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for those who don't know or aren't familiar, the the thing about burlesque is that it it is an old art form that has kind of been reclaimed by women and men. Uh, actually, and we can talk about that in a second. But as a way to kind of reclaim that idea of of um, nudity and performance and tease and and take it and take it back for the ladies and they get to be in control and produce their own works and it's actually always had a bit of that but it's had quite the resurgence lately um, and I mentioned that now I mentioned that men do that as well um, this year's festival actually features some boylesque can you tell us a little bit about boylesque and who's going to be here uh, boylesque has not 
you know, there there is a history of, uh, you know, as long as there's been burlesque performers, I feel like there's been, you know, uh, man props needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think uh, the desire to inspire and express yourself is not something that is, you know, uniquely for women. Um, and there is, uh, you know, been a resurgence, I guess, or just a, you know, a surgence, a surgence, not even a resurgence, <laughs> a surgence of uh, men who who would like to participate as well. Um, and we're lucky enough to have uh, one of uh, the premier uh, boylesquers coming to our festival, Jed Adore. Uh, he's known as the No Pantser Romancer. Ooh. Yes, he's absolutely suave. Um, he's a very talented dancer. He's based out of Chicago, uh, performs with the Stage Door Johnnies, um, and I've seen him perform myself at uh, the Burlesque Hall of Fame as well. And he, he will knock your socks off. Ladies, you will not want to miss this. Yeah. We also, there's a couple other boys that are performing um, Wrong Note Rusty. Uh, He's great. Is, and then um, Dapper Dan will be doing something with uh, his partner, and they'll be doing a duet, I think, of some kind, mm-hmm. duo. With Via Rose. Yes, Via Rose. Um, and they're very funny. And then Blue Morris will be doing something. Now, he actually has been really instrumental, pun intended, um, <laughs> in bringing live music back to burlesque along with artists like Nikki Nine Doors, who does a live show, including singing and stripping at the same time. Um, Blue will do um, he'll strip and play guitar at the same time. I've seen this. It is brilliant. Um, and they'll be doing live music all Thursday at the Rio. So a lot of us performers, um, if I may be so bold as to put myself in that category, um, oh, we use sure. can, we use can music, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what is it like? What is the difference for a performer to play to live music? Um, for for me, what I really enjoy about it is uh, it feels more like a collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, in the music, I don't know, live music, just something about it. Uh, you know, you, you feel uh, the movement uh, a bit stronger. I would I would say um, it's just a bit more thrilling. And I think as a as an audience member, you feel a lot more connected to the piece. It's a lot more, a lot more in the old style too. It tends to be. But um, we're going to be doing Beatles burlesque, um, which is burlesque to Beatles music, live Beatles music. And there's also um, around town you can you can see Beatles burlesque and you can see Dirty Dancing burlesque, which April has done. And that's also live music. So there's something for everyone out there in Vancouver. Um, Thank you so much for joining us and talking to us. And yeah, you're gonna, of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're going to stick around a little bit and hang out. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Um, so that was April O'Peel, and she um, is going to be performing, as she oft does, at the Taboo Review this Saturday, um, the Wise Hall. Doors are at 8, shows at 9, and that's put on by um, Screaming Chicken. You can get tickets at ScreamingChicken.net. Uh, it's like 18 bucks in advance, 20 bucks at the door. It's a really amazing show, and I think there's a boylesque graduation coming up as well. Yes, uh, the graduating class of Becoming Boylesque, um, of which I am a teacher, and they are so cute. You have no idea. There's seven of them dancing and stripping uh, all at the same time. It's phenomenal. Yeah, and not to get too uh, not to get too theoretical, but I think it's interesting. Um, you know, women have always been sex objects, and we have to take that power back and enjoy being sexy and teasing, but also say, "Hey, you know, I'm in control of this." And I think um, the reason why it doesn't get in the way of that to have boys involved uh, is because boys should experience that and experience expressing their sexuality I don't think that especially like het dudes really do that that much it's very normalized to be a het dude and I think that it gives them a taste of what we go through like (laughs) even just the ability of having to like arrange an outfit that you have to take off sexily um, next we'll get them in the eyelashes and everything next so that they can really experience what it's like um, so check out all the information at vanburlesquefest.com, um, ticket prices, etc. cetera. We, uh, there'll be performances from May 3rd until May 6th uh, at the Rio Theater and the Vogue Theater. And it's an amazing show. So please, um, please check it out. Check out the workshops and some of the acts and say if there's anything that seems right for you. And uh, yeah, April's going to stick around. But next, we have uh, another piece of theater that I saw last month, and that is called The Life Game. And I and it's a, it's a quite unique show put on by Truth Be Told Theater. It's both comedic and poignant based on your life. Well, maybe not yours this time, but it's an improv theater project based on an individual's life story. 
The individual is there. There's an interviewer, actors, and directors. And stories from the guests drive the events. Uh, the Life Game Ensemble of Vancouver began in February uh, 2009 at the Presentation House Theatre. And in November 2011, they started to do shows at Granville Island Studio uh, 1398. And they've been running monthly ever since. Um, as I mentioned, they created Truth Be Told Theatre just to produce this event. And it happens the last Sunday of every month. Um, and the next show is coming up on April 29th at Studio 1398, which is on Granville Island, with actress Leslie Ewan. So what I would like to do is play you uh, a little intro into um, the life game with Jeff Gladstone. I actually interviewed him at the event just after the event last month. So those are all the people in the background. And uh, the first thing I wanted to know was what was the inspiration for uh, the show itself. So uh, thank you in advance to to Jeff for telling us uh, what was the inspiration for the company and the show. Gina Suda and myself are both alumni of the Loose Moose Theatre, which is a theatre company in Calgary, Alberta, where theatre sports was created, and a lot of the improv games were created, and the life game was created. And uh, everyone knows about theatre sports, but not a lot of people know about the life game. And we kind of think of it as almost improv for grown-ups. It's like... It has a lot of the fun of improv, a lot of the things that draw, drew us to it in the first place, but it just goes a lot deeper and has a lot more of a wide range of emotions and experience. There were a lot of poignant moments. Is that something that you find a little more challenging than just pure comedy, or is it something that comes more naturally to you? This show is definitely more challenging, and it's really like there, we have a large ensemble, and we Put this every time we do the show we trade around roles someone is the interviewer someone is the director someone plays the guest uh someone is plays maybe one small part is in only one scene and spends half the time just moving the couches back and forth but we've spent about three years kind of working together and becoming a tight group so it's all about doing the least amount necessary to uh give the most honest representation of the stories got a little more abstract at the end which is i think in a way another type of truth but it did seem that there was a big focus on being accurate so what does that mean to you um what's the importance behind being accurate when you're telling someone's life story well this is just what we found it's different than normal improv improv you can get a story from the audience and you can exaggerate it and play around with the characters and the audience just eats it up But this show, the way it's structured, it's amazing. As soon as you invent something or kind of depart from the truth, the audience is like, we've all heard this story. That's not how it happened. And then we find when we just, our objective is just to be, tell the honest truth of what happened or what might have happened. Then it's, this in this show, those things turn out to be funnier than anything we make up could have been. And the bell and the horn, I noticed that's something that you guys uh, usually do. Well, we find because we're just getting to know this person, we need a lot of uh, elements that help them to let us know if we're getting close to the truth or if we're kind of going off on our own. And one way is we're always asking them, was that close to the truth? Is that how it would have happened? What would you have changed about that? And then the the bell and the horn is the other way where if we do something right, they ding us. If they do something wrong, they use a horn and they're training us like, you know, trained monkeys. I found that sometimes the the horn or the ding, that that definitely added an element of itself, a layer of personality to the whole story. Now, you were saying that, you know, you're just getting to know these people. Now, in the past, you've known the subjects, and this is someone who was a a stranger to you? Yeah, I guess. um, Basically, when Keith first taught us the show, Keith Johnstone, he taught us his format, and he recommended we get people that at least a couple of us know as we're learning because you know as we're kind of working on the show because we want someone that's not going to just have a bunch of funny anecdotes of their life that they're going to tell we want someone that's going to actually be willing to maybe discover something new about their memories that they don't realize or go to places that are dark and go to places that maybe you wouldn't talk about in a coffee shop but you would talk about with your best friend you know so we found we could if we knew the person, we could be a good judge on that. But if we didn't know them, we would just be like shooting fish in a barrel, as they say. That's a terrible metaphor for the show. <laughs> More like petting fish in a barrel. But this was our first chance getting someone new, and I felt like it was a real success. 
first standing ovation we've ever got. And I think that has to do with, like, people knew right from the top. Oh, this isn't, like, an actor that these actors know. This is just, like, a real guy. Which is, like, you know, who had, like, a normal job and stuff. And, like, and so we relate to them even more, you know, because they're just like us, you know. How could people get involved as subjects? Well, we're still developing that right now. We we have our guest book for uh, our April show our May show, and then for the June show, we're hoping to get a high profile, maybe someone with a little bit of notoriety, just to kind of shake things up and end our season. This going to be the end of our year here. But uh, definitely, we're going to be back next year, and we're going to develop some new ways to get guests, and we're going to run out of our friends. In fact, we already have. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're definitely going to do more contests, so people should join our Facebook group and follow us on Twitter, because anytime we're looking for guests, we'll go there first. And, um, and come and see the show. And if you're interested, we encourage people just to come up to us and say, I want to be a guest in the show. Guess what happened to me? <laughs> when people hear improv, they have kind of something in their head, even though it is supposed to be made up on the spot. Is there anything that, that will help them if they come into this experience? This is an improv show. But what it is more than that is a show where you just come and you, you get to know a stranger. You get to fall in love with someone you would walk by on the street. You get to know the most intimate details of their life. People don't realize coming to the show is that when you watch it, you go through your own life story. And you answer all the questions in your own head. And you go, what would I say if I was up there? And, you know, come to the show ready to laugh. Also, bring some Kleenex. Get to know yourself a little bit better. Get to know yourself a little bit better. And and get to know, like, a stranger. I really... Uh, there was a. This was the first event, the life game, when, the one I saw where it wasn't. A, it was a stranger to the actual people in the troop. And so, I mentioned in the interview the bell and the horn. So when they were performing, they were portraying different characters or people in this person's life, and he would, you know, if it was wrong, and ding ding, if it was if it was right and that was quite comedic and sometimes poignant because um one of the performers would say oh you know honey it's okay and they're being the mom and he was like uh -uh." like she was not like that you know and so it was funny and poignant at the same time and there were a lot of really amusing laugh out loud funny parts and some really kind of sniffle worthy parts um one of the things though that i didn't like and um my viewing partner uh was said this as well was that one of the things that is based in improv is you don't say no if you or you have to always go forward it's yes and and what would happen was they had three or four performers main performers jeff played the actual person he played the guest and the directors would ask some questions and the interviewer would ask some questions and get a bit of material together and then the directors would say oh we'd like to see this we'd like to see that and set up the scene but what I found was that there was maybe because this was a stranger and so they weren't already familiar with the various life moments of this person um, there was a lot of time setting up the director say no do this no do that don't do it this way um, and they didn't really seem to be going with the flow and so there was less performance than setting up of each individual scene um and sometimes something interesting was happening and maybe it wasn't exactly accurate um it was accurate in spirit the guest said that a lot of times they really got it accurate in spirit or they do something that didn't happen but how he thought it might have happened and so the one thing i would say about this life game is that the directors need to maybe set up more and contextualize maybe director isn't the best word maybe coach or contextualizer might be better and then let them go because the improvers were really, really talented. And I would also say that um, the actors seemed to forget the information. There was a lot of information coming at them, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't really know exactly what was happening. So I had to ask questions and questions. So I think that that is probably due to it the first time it being kind of a general stranger. And I think also every time is a different set of actors, a different set of directors. Same troupe, but they rotate. So I think every game is going to be a little different. And I think that it is a, a really interesting experience. If you're like me, you see a lot of improv, you see a lot of um, comedy. It's really interesting to see. Um, it's really interesting to see 
poignant improv. I'm going to bring April in on this because one of the things we were talking about with burlesque is that it's sexy or funny or quirky, but oftentimes it can be poignant as well. There are a lot of performers in Vancouver that do um, experimental or kind of sadder um, dance. Maybe just more performance art based mm-hmm. uh, pieces. Yeah, I know Lola Frost, she does a lot of really moving, poignant things that are still sexy and dramatic, but... Um, so, it, you know, it's really nice to see those different sides of an art, so I would recommend it for that reason. Um, the next one is April 29th, as I mentioned. Uh, actress Leslie Ewan will be featured at Studio 1398, 1398 Cartwright Street. They're going to do two more shows after that. The last show of the season is June 24th, uh, 2012, and then they'll be returning in the fall. Uh, you can check out info at thelifegamevancouver.com. That's the lifegamevancouver.com. And there's information on there on how to get involved if you want to be a guest. Um, the ensemble includes Brian Anderson, Jeff Gladstone, Ryan Gladstone, Real Han, Tom Jones, David Milchard, Lori Triolo, Christina Sicoli, and Tallulah Winkleman. And so it's a great troupe, and I would definitely recommend giving this a try at least once. Okay, the life game is over for today because we have... Doxa Festival. Um, the Doxa Film Fest is happening. It's happening soon, May 4th to 13th. And this is going to be the first week of two weeks of coverage. Um, are you a big movie buff, April? Like um, films? I like them so we can hug in the dark. <laughs> All right, naughty. <laughs> um, so you can check out the whole lineup, uh, doxafestival.ca. You can also get tickets there at People's Co op Books and at Zulu Records. Um, DOXA is presented by the Documentary Media Society. It's a not-for-profit charitable society from 1998. And it's devoted to presenting, you know, independent, innovative documentaries. They're local, there's international, um, NFB, uh, there's an Academy Award winner. Like, it's just an amazing range. It's a curated and juried festival, and it's got public screenings, panel discussions, public forums, and educational workshops. Um, so I thought what I would do is give you a couple of reviews and an interview, and we'll have even more next week. Um, what I have seen lately, uh, the first is photographic memory. And I uh, have skipped forward, so I'm just going to click, click, click through my script. Um, so photographic memory is by Ross McElwee, um from the U.S. It's 2011, so it's very recent. And it's actually going to be screening Wednesday, May 9th, um, so two weeks from now at the Van City Theatre. And... He is a father. He has an adolescent boy, uh, 17, what an age. And he's a photographer and a, a videographer. And so we see all of uh, this kid growing up for the first 10 or 15 minutes through his lens, which is pretty ironic because his problem with his adolescence is that um, his adolescent son is that he's so caught up in media, in computers, in he, digital media manipulation. He does snowboarding and films it and texting and all this stuff. And the kid, um, maybe it's because I'm closer to the kid at 17 than the dad at, like, 45 or 50, but I don't know. The kid seems pretty normal. He seems totally sullen and disconnected from his family and all that stuff, but, uh, I mean, that is pretty normal. Yeah, he sounds like my brother. Yeah, and he seems really intelligent. He seems just he has less, a lot of stuff that he can do, which is always great. Um, but he is, you know, sullen and um, doesn't have the same values as his dad does. So his dad wants to figure out what... Was I like at 17? What was I like when I was a young adult? And that'll help me maybe connect with my, uh, my, my son. So he tracks down, um, or he seeks to track down a couple of the people who had a big impact with, on him when he traveled in France in his early 20s. So uh, he tracks down people who know him 38 years ago when he was the same age. And through their eyes, he kind of sees that him and his son aren't that different. Now, I'm about three-quarters of the way through. Um, I'm really excited about this whole revelation because one of the things that really bugged me about this, and again, maybe it's the age thing, is such a dad thing. Like, <laughs> why? how can I connect to my son? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, well, put down the camera. Stop telling him the things he's doing is dangerous. Because, of course, the kid's, like, he's a little young to be kind of drinking and partying, and he definitely need to curb that, um, even just to provide boundaries for a kid, right? You know, he's going to break them. But he's very much a dad, so I'm excited to finish it up and see him kind of maybe learn a little bit about uh, his young son. Um, his uh, 
uh, Ross McElwee has made nine feature-length documentaries as well as a number of sh- uh, smaller films. He's been at Sundance and won numerous awards there, including Best Documentary. Um, I could name all his uh, credits, but it will take forever. Um, he actually teaches documentary filmmaking at the Department of Visual and Environmental Studies at Harvard. So this guy knows his stuff, and it was a real, really enjoyable um, if a bit uh, dry uh, experience so far. I think that his narrating is a little dry, but the actual content is really interesting and super relevant. So that was interesting. Another one that I have seen lately um, is American Juggalo. This is part of the In, Th- In the Third Place series, um, which is a series of idiosyncratic films uh, that feature little communities that are of people who are either overwhelmingly rejected or um, they come together, for example, like the Juggalos, over the music of Insane Clown Posse. Um, So you can see the whole series Wednesday, May 9th at Pacific Cinema Tech is curated by Mark Kingwell. American Juggalo is by Sean Dunn. It's an American film, obviously. It's only 23 minutes. It's a short. These are all shorts. And it is a beautifully shot, kind of classic documentary. No talking heads. Um... Just fly on the wall. He asks them questions. They respond. Um, it's an it's a window. It's an insight into this culture. The interesting thing is that I really don't know anything about this culture after I watched it, and not to the <laughs> fault of the documentary, but because over and over, like they have this very propaganda kind of like we're all family at the Juggalo gathering. We're all family. Everyone's welcome. Just want to party. You know, it's all about good people, kind people, and that's all great. But what I would say is that um, I didn't really learn... Like, there, there wasn't anyone portrayed in the film that was... Except for maybe one person who really had a critical or self-aware point of view. That being said, what's interesting about the film is you really do bring your own prejudices to it. So if you were a person who was involved in this community, you would be totally pleased with the film. Um, if I have my own ideas about that group and those came to the forefront. So it's a really excellent documentary in terms of creating um, conversation. And it actually like doesn't portray anything bad or good uh, per se about these people. It's just them talking about their own community. It's in their own words. Really lovely shot and uh, short and sweet. It's by Sean Dunn. He's from Brooklyn and he makes documentaries and commercials. He enjoys cold beers, hot tubs, preferably in tandem. Um which is not as impressive as, to, as teaching at Harvard, but I don't know. It's kind of more my level. And the other couple of films in that series are Terminal Bar from the U.S. 2003, and it's uh, the pathos of hardcore alcoholics in New York City, and uh, in a series of portraits taken by bartender Sheldon Nadelman. And the other film is Heavy, Medi- Park- Heavy Metal Parking Lot. Uh, it's only 17 minutes from 86 in the U.S. And the Juggalos inherited the mantle of party animals from the original rock and roll wastoids in this legendary cult classic. Um, so uh, their most recent effort is actually a follow-up called Heavy Metal Picnic, which I'm actually more interested in than the parking lot. Um, you have, I think at a Heavy Metal Picnic, you have like Colt 45 and like crackers and ants and <laughs> like probably some sort of sugar cane. I don't know. So those are uh, a couple of the international films, um, the American films that I have seen. Uh, I am going to come back after this break with a review of Stuck Characters, which is actually a local film about a local production. Really amazing. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on it because I uh, really love the film and I actually um, obviously want to showcase our local filmmakers and our local performing artists. So please stick around. We're going to have a couple of quick messages from CITR, and then we will be back. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the Main Street area at Antisocial Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear, Flaming Angels Boutique, Lucky's Comics, Neptune Records, Red Cat Records, The Regional Assembly of Text, RX Comics, Temple of the Modern Girl, and The Wallflower Modern Diner. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. 
With the vast amount of changes happening in the world, it's almost impossible to get a clear picture of what's really going on. We are trapped within the logic of capitalism, leaving us unable to imagine what comes next. The Extra Environmentalist brings the perspectives of people who can see the whole picture and are ready for whatever comes our way. Tune in to The Extra Environmentalist every Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. on CITR 101.9 FM. This is the viewpoint that makes all places the same to you. I really like the extra environmentalist. And another reason that I like them is because they will be hosting, I believe, two reviews, if not interviews, of films from Doxa. Um, at least Love Meat Tender, which is about the meat production industry and that will be reviewed i believe by local volunteer coordinator and animal rights artist and activist zoe pellet um she works here at citr and then i think they're going to be doing a review of bear 71 which is both about tracking bears but also about tracking people and uh i know i just i put on i put on april on mic there for her reaction it was just a giggle um and so that's going to be really interesting so stock characters. This is another. Um, this is another film in the Doxa Fest, which you can get the whole shebang, the whole um, list of films at uh, doxafestival dot com, and uh, you can also uh, check out their various workshops, talks, etc. So, um, sorry, doctor doxafestival.ca. So stock characters. Uh, it documents the 2006 production of a diver- by a diverse group of indigenous and immigrant youth. Now, they came together to create a play based on a satire of the Japanese cult cooking show Iron Chef. Director Elaine Carroll is a demanding but supportive family figure to the youth involved. She is also the director of the film. She wanted to document their journey. Uh, youth Corinne, Dakota, Roberto, Michael, and Herb learn to cope with their own individual issues. Uh, and watching their journey is so satisfying. Um, they are very eloquent about their own struggles, and you really see them develop as like emotional and intellectual people. It's it's really lovely. It's a it's a delightful production. Also, in as much as you get to see clips from the event that they put on and uh, as my viewing partner noted uh, it's as good as anything we've seen lately Um, better in fact Um, this is going to air Friday May 11th at 1 o'clock p.m. at Pacific Cinema Tech Uh, it's 52 minutes and I actually talked with Elaine who is the artistic director of Miscellaneous Productions who put on this event um, stock characters the cooking show and they put it on each van. It was actually their first event. And uh, we also have a few clips from the trailer, which you can find on IMDb. You can actually find a bunch of trailers on YouTube if you search Doxa Festival 2012. Um, and this you can actually find on, I believe it's IMDb. So uh, enjoy. And then when we come back, I'll tell you a little bit more about uh, the show. I didn't really have a stable childhood at all, and I had to kind of raise myself. My biggest challenge was my mom. She didn't believe that I was coming here. She probably thought I was going to do drugs or something. Go on, get! I didn't have anything to look forward to, so I was just kind of running around the streets with my friends and drinking Rather than facing front, you're facing this way. It's just growing up in East Bank. Do what you can with what you got, you know? Hit your positions. I experienced... I was hoping you could acquaint us a little bit with how this production happened. We're going into our 13th year of oh, okay. production. Um, Stock Characters, the cooking show, I believe, was our was about our fifth or sixth major pro- production. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had done a number of plays in the city of Richmond, and we were the young company of the Gateway Theatre for a number of years until 2005. And then we moved, uh, we were always living, the uh, artists, the company, and the board of directors of Miscellaneous Productions always lived in Vancouver, in the city of Vancouver. And we were invited by the culture to make a new piece. 
question they asked us to work with, um, since their own youth program does not serve a wide diversity of youth, it's mostly, you know, middle class, upper middle class kids in the culture program. Uh, we were asked by the culture to come in and work with the, um, uh, you know, more youth of color, more indigenous youth, uh, and youth from different socio and cultural backgrounds. Great, so there would be a, a diversity of in the life experience. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> And I think that um, more and more the mainstream theater companies in, in Vancouver were at that time uh, becoming aware that perhaps they should diversify a little bit. And our company, both the staff and the youth are quite culturally diverse and socially diverse. So we were uh, asked to come in and make this piece and then we, we took it on and we, we produced it, we ended up producing it on our own. Um, the cult was not involved in the production that we did perform at the cult. And what we loved about it was that this was our home community. Though we loved Richmond and we were working there for many, many years, we were aching for the chance to work in our own community. Now, just to elaborate a little bit on the show, um, it was written by the youth as well as yourself? What happened was the youth, um, uh, you know, these youth were very, very challenged. Writing was not their strong suit. We were able to improvise the play within the play with them, which were the more realistic scenes from their lives. Mm -hmm. But when it came to writing the more stylized sections, they were really having problems with it. So uh, I ended up writing them because the designers needed a script and we were moving into the theater in a, uh, you know, in a month or two. And um, so most of the stylized sections I ended up writing. The show centers on food in terms of just the, the idea of the stability of breaking bread and the role. You were advised that food plays a large role in the lives of these youth. Mm -hmm. Could you elaborate a little bit on how that was, is showcased in the, in the production? The, the play is set at the end of the world in the Vancouver East Cultural Center and it's a, it's a post-apocalyptic kind of story in which all the adults in the world have been killed by the young people. The young people are roving youth gangs, stalking the dark streets of East Vancouver and taking over institutions and turning them into their own fortresses. And then there's this contest to see who can cook up the best stories of the lives of East Vancouver youth. So there's all these kinds of plays on what's actually happening right now that we're experiencing. You know, we're experiencing climate change. We're experiencing a crisis in food. There's a whole politics of food that's very complex. Um, so that there's that in the play in, in, within the film. But also what we found when the youth came to us was that nutritionally they weren't doing well. That whether it was their schools or their homes or their lives, they weren't getting uh, enough or proper food. They weren't eating well. And, um, and, and this wasn't the case for all of them, but for some of them. And we also found out that they, you know, few or none of them really, only one of them really had, one or two of them had real cooking skills. So we set up a series of community kitchens with Diane Collis from the community kitchens program at uh, the food bank and with our own educator, Eric Wong, who made wonton soup with them. Yeah, I mean, food was something, you know, it was the first time we had to make sure there was nutritious food at every single rehearsal. When we were in Richmond, because by and large those youth were, even though they were very much at risk, the youth we worked with at, in Richmond, and uh, we certainly worked with youth that had exited gangs in Richmond, but they were from mostly, not all, but from mostly middle class backgrounds. So when they came to rehearsal, they came with food. When we moved into East Van, sometimes youth would come to rehearsal having not eaten for two or three days, anything. Do you mind speaking a little bit about what this process was like personally for you? Because you, you seem so supportive and yet demanding of these youth in a way that they probably um, may not be experienced with. Exactly, and I think that's why, you know, we generally tend to take in, you know, up to 20 youth into each program and often only half make it through and that we expect that um i mean personally for me because i come from a similar difficult background to a lot of these young people i have an instant empathy at the same time our philosophy is to empower them and if you want to empower a young person who's been so disempowered and so oppressed 
first thing you've got to do is provide structure. And with a lot of the youth that we've worked with over these 12 years, 13 years of our company, many of them have no real structure in their lives. Even their schools don't really provide that structure. We provide structure, yes, we're demanding, but at the same time, we're incredibly supportive. We really, really listen to them. It's not, I think there's a lot of people in Canada right now running programs for youth, but I don't think they want to really roll up their sleeves and really get involved with their lives. I have a friend of mine who has done a lot of community work over the years, and he's now a drug and alcohol counselor in the downtown east side. Mm -hmm. And he saw the film, and he... He laughed afterwards and he said, you know, when I was watching the film, I didn't think those youth would make it till opening night. You know, he didn't think that we would have a happy ending. Um, so, I mean, you, see, you really see their journey when they start in the program with us and, you know, how much work they did and how much work we did. You really do see their journey. My Uncle Todd found the flyer stuck to a shoe. And then he knows that I like to act and stuff. So he gave me the information, and then I went to go to the, the little community center where they were holding the auditions. Those stock characters, the cooking show. Um, and I've seen the film. It's really heartwarming. Uh, Elaine did a great job of kind of creating this quite this... Um, storyline that you're not really sure what's going to happen, but spoiler alert, happy ending. Um, however, we did have a really long conversation. We talked for about 20 minutes, half an hour, and one of the not-so-happy endings is that, you know, funding for miscellaneous productions is really low. Um, it's the 12th year of production, so, you know, they obviously have some sort of base, but she said that it's getting harder and harder every year, and because she works with youth and Indigenous youth and at-risk youth, um, it does tend to lack funding because, hey, if those groups weren't ignored by society, they wouldn't be where they are. So it extends to their theater productions as well. Um, you know what's really great is that they are doing, uh, Miscellaneous is doing another project. So the cooking show was from 2007, documentaries from 2010. The uh, next production they have is actually part of the Vancouver International Children's Festival. There is a open rehearsal this Friday, uh, which is why I wanted to promote it today, and um, from, I think, May 29th until June 2nd at the Vancouver International Children's Festival, it's Cuts and Dogs. It is, they're all dressed up like little cats and dogs, and they will be um, doing its musical theater ages 10 to adult. The people in the performance are a little older because it is a Romeo and Juliet slash West Side Story, but with cats and dogs. And so they're, you know, people, people go kaput about 45 minutes it's only 11 bucks go check it out at performance we uh performance works and help to support a you know a production company that's really influencing not just audiences with their great shows but they're changing lives and i know that sounds really cheesy but from the documentary you realize that is really really true uh, next week, I'm going to be doing a review of Al Weiwei, Never Sorry, as well as reviews on films on LSD, sex work, activism. Um, hopefully, you'll be listening to Extra Environmentalist for reviews of Bear 71. So go to Doxa uh, Film Fest, doxafestival.ca. Check out all the films, plus their Justice Forum, Spotlight on Canadian Women in Documentary, Philosopher's Cafes, Rated Y for Youth, and the Chris Anderson Connections Youth Forum. Um, it's way in the background there and getting ready for Discord or radio. So I'm going to let you guys listen to that coming up. I know you're excited. Next week, um, we're going to have tons of great stuff, um, including a review of People Who Disappear by Alex Leslie. Uh, those films I mentioned, uh, I'm going to go to the launch on Saturday night. So I'll give you um, a little bit of information. And unfortunately, it was a packed, packed day, even though we started early. We were not able to get to um, the Exquisite Hour by Relevant Theatre, which was going to be happening May 1st to 22nd. And it's a, a fringe show that has continued on to critical acclaim. And it's a lot of fun. And so we'll talk about that next week. Uh, and uh, it's running all the way till the 22nd. So you have plenty of time to get tickets. Feel free to check it out online. And we'll talk to Jesse Van uh, Rin next week. And uh, yeah, thanks very much for joining us, everyone. Um, we have been the Arts Report. I want to thank April Appeal. Thank you, April. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was lots of fun. Um, I also want to thank 
Elaine Carroll and Jeff Gladstone, and I'd like to thank Nick and Jesse who got everything together for us this week, but bad, bad Megan didn't get all the way through everything we wanted to do. And that's just the way it is because there's so much going on uh, in Vancouver right now. Right, it's the end of the night. So please subscribe to our podcast. You can check it out online. Uh, Twitter, CITR Arts Report. Facebook, Arts Report on CITR. I'm Megan. See you next week. Discorder Radio is up next.